0: introducing christianity to mormons a new book by mormonism research ministries eric johnson and published by harvest house publishers is a resource that'll help you share your faith with latter-day saint friends and loved ones order your copy of introducing christianity to mormons at mrm.org viewpoint on mormonism the program that examines the teachings of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints from a biblical perspective Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. What does Mormon doctrine really teach when it comes to
1: salvation for the dead? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We're looking at Volume 2, Chapter 10 of Doctrines of Salvation, a book that was compiled by Bruce R. McConkey, who would later become a Mormon apostle, His father-in-law was Joseph Fielding Smith, and this book contains the sermons and writings of Joseph Fielding Smith, the 10th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In this chapter, as we brought out on the first day of this series, he says there are many false notions about salvation for the dead, and that salvation for the dead is grossly misunderstood by many of Latter-day Saints. Well, if Latter-day Saints are confused about this doctrine, you can imagine how much confusion reigns for those of us outside of the LDS Church. So we figured this week we would allow Joseph Fielding Smith to enlighten us as to what really is involved when it comes to the salvation of the dead, according to Mormonism. And as we've seen so far, it seems like, according to Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon movement, that you have a much better chance of reaching the celestial kingdom if you never even hear about Mormonism during this mortality, but embrace it after you die in the spirit world. Well, we're going to get some more clarification as we read from the bottom of page 182, where Joseph Fielding Smith talks about those who have the opportunity here to hear the message of salvation. What does he say at the bottom of page 182, Eric?
2: Those who have the opportunity here, those unto whom the message of salvation is declared, who are taught, And who have this truth presented to them in this life, yet who deny it and refuse to receive it, shall not have a place in the kingdom of God. They will not be with those who died without that knowledge and who yet accepted it in the spirit world.
1: It sounds like he's merely recapping what Joseph Smith said in 1836. January 21st, 1836, to be precise. And I think it's good to read that quote again. All who have died without a knowledge of the gospel, who would have received it if they had been permitted to tarry, shall be heirs of the celestial kingdom of God. It sounds like that's exactly what Joseph Fielding Smith is saying here. If you receive this message of salvation, but yet you deny it or you refuse to receive it, you're not going to have a place in the kingdom of God. Now, what does the kingdom of God mean in the context of Mormonism? Well, in this context, it's talking about the celestial kingdom. In another context, the kingdom of God could be referring to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because it's been defined that way as well. But what Joseph Fielding Smith is trying to get across here is you better hope that if you receive it, you better not deny it. You better live up to every standard that this restored gospel has for you. Because if you don't, you will not have a place in the kingdom of God. He says they will not be with those who died without that knowledge and who yet accepted it in the spirit world. He's showing a comparison here. If you hear it and you don't do it, you're not going to end up having what you could have had if you never heard it and never did anything except embrace it after you die. That's really, I would think, the best way to come about this. And this is why I said yesterday, I don't think the Mormon missionaries are doing anybody a good service by telling them what they believe regarding this restored gospel as it's understood within the LDS Church.
2: Bill, you've mentioned that Smith's son-in-law, Bruce R. McConkie, who was an apostle in the LDS Church all the way until 1985 when he died at the age of 69, He very much agree with his father-in-law and did so in several different times. Here's a quote that comes from his classic book called Mormon Doctrine, 1966, pages 686-687. He said, Salvation for the dead is limited expressly to those who do not have the opportunity in this life to accept the gospel, but who would have taken the opportunity had it come to them? Thus... The false and heretical doctrine that people who fail to live the law in this life, having had an opportunity so to do, will have a further chance of salvation in the life to come, is a soul-destroying doctrine, a doctrine that lulls its adherents into carnal security and thereby denies them a hope of eternal salvation. He also said in a famous speech called The Seven Deadly Heresies, he gave this at Brigham Young University, the LDS church-owned school, on June 1st, 1980, this is what he said. There are those who believe that the doctrine of salvation for the dead offers men a second chance for salvation. This is false, false, false. I know a man, now deceased, a non-member of the church, who was a degenerate old reprobate who found pleasure, as he supposed, in living after the manner of the world. A cigarette dangled from his lips, alcohol stenched his breath, and profane and bawdy stories defiled his lips. His moral status left much to be desired. His wife was a member of the church, as faithful as she could be under the circumstances. One day she said to him, You know the church is true. Why don't you be baptized? He replied, Of course I know the church is true, but I have no intention of changing my habits in order to join it. I prefer to live the way I do, but that doesn't worry me in the slightest. I know that as soon as I die, you will have someone go to the temple and do the work for me, and everything will come out all right in the end anyway. He died, and she did and it was a total and complete waste of time. Bill, that's an interesting story that he tells, but it sounds similar to the story you gave on Monday of a woman who's telling her friend that she would be baptized for her mother and that it would all be okay in the end because she did this work. According to Bruce R. McConkie, it would be a complete waste of time. In fact, he says in the Doctrinal New Testament Commentary, Volume 1, page 435, the highest reward somebody can get if they've heard the gospel would be the terrestrial kingdom. So yes, you're going to get a kingdom of glory. You'll get a resurrection because you're human and you received a body. But to get the very best that Mormonism has to offer, you don't have a chance if you've already heard it and reject it in this life.
1: And that was the context of that conversation I heard that you mentioned with that woman telling her friend that she had shared what she believed with her mother and her mother had rejected it. It's exactly the same kind of scenario, but in the next paragraph on page 183, Joseph Fielding Smith gives another angle to this that sounds very similar to what his son-in-law said that you had just read. It's under the subheading, Some Not Eligible for Vicarious Salvation.
2: There are too many people in this world who have heard the message of the gospel, who think they can continue on to the end of this mortal life, living as they please, And then accept the gospel after death. And friends will perform the ordinances that they neglect to perform for themselves. And eventually, they will receive blessings in the kingdom of God. This is an heir.
1: Sounds pretty similar to what Bruce McConkie was saying in that story that he related about the man who was a degenerate. It was the way he described him. He just felt, well, my wife's going to take care of it for me after I die, so why should I worry about it now? And this paragraph that you just read seems to make it very clear that that is not the way it's going to be according to Mormonism. It makes you wonder, though, Eric, how many Latter-day Saints think that? Mm. And I think that's why he mentions on page 184 about these false notions that even many Latter-day Saints have about this doctrine there probably are quite a few Latter-day Saints who don't understand it clearly and have assumed that the story of the degenerate that McConkie tells, well, that could be their story for all we know.
2: Look, I don't want to judge motives, but I think many Latter-day Saints have all good intentions and purposes of why they do work on behalf of people who have died. In fact, they have to wait a year after a person has died, to be able to do that work. And then once the year has gone by, they can do that, and they think they're doing something to be what they call a savior on Mount Zion. I have LDS relatives who have told me when I die or when anybody in my family dies, they have sort of like adopted me and they will actually do the work that is necessary in the temple so that I might have this quote-unquote second chance. It's hard when you have LDS relatives who are trying to say a nice thing to you, and what am I supposed to reply back with? Well, I don't believe in baptism for the dead. I don't think there's a second chance of salvation. It was not an opportunity to really come up and say, I disagree with that, but it's, it's something that they want to do for me and do it in a good way, but according to Bruce McConkie it's a complete waste of time because I've heard the LDS gospel. I think I've had sufficient presentation of that from all the different Mormons I've talked to including many missionaries and I reject it. So according to Mormonism, I should not have a chance at the celestial kingdom no matter how much I might accept it in the next life.
1: You raise a good point though. How do we as Christians respond to in this case a relative could say a loved one, a spouse even, who says, well, after you die, I'm going to be baptized on your behalf. Now, if you have no religious beliefs whatsoever, you could probably just roll your eyes, shrug your shoulder and say, hey, go for it, you know, knock yourself out. But as a Christian, we certainly don't believe that this is a true doctrine at all. We could respond by being rude to them, You could do what you did, and I think under the circumstance, because you've told me this story before, under the circumstance, it probably was best to just merely smile and thank them for what they think is a kind gesture on your behalf. Certainly, you think they're misled. Certainly, you don't think what they're believing is true. You don't think what they believe is going to happen. But is that the time to get into a back and forth? In this particular case for you, it was not maybe in another situation, it could have very well been a good opportunity to say, well, let's talk about that. I think we need to be careful when we are approached by Latter-day Saints on this topic, because you and I both agree, they're not saying they're going to do this because they dislike us, right? they're saying it because I think they really are concerned for us.
2: I think we have to read the intentions. And when the intentions are meant to be positive, as much as we might disagree, sometimes we have to count the cost, especially a family member, and say, okay, not now, maybe another time and just be polite about the whole situation. That's how I treated it in that a time of vacation where the family was together at a reunion. I never did have an opportunity to talk further about that, but who knows? You know, maybe someday I'll have a further opportunity. And I just need to be patient. The the Bible says in 1st Peter chapter 3 we're supposed to do this with gentleness and respect. And I think that is what is very important for me when I'm dealing with family members.
1: And I think it helps to also try to understand the motive with which the person who's saying this to us has. And I I think it's important that we do not forget. They're not saying this in order to rub it in our face or anything like that. Now, maybe they are. I don't know. In that kind of a case, maybe it is time to say something, but that certainly was not the intent of that relative who was talking to you at that time. It's just something, Christian, to think about
0: on Mormonism.